If you would, please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8. We'll be reading all verses of chapter 8. Again, that is Psalms chapter 8. O Lord, our God, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is a man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. David, being in awe of God, looking around and knowing the things that had happened and the ways that he had interacted within the the lives and the history of humanity, he wanted to know why is it that God is mindful of his creation and why in the world would he visit him in the form of the Son of Man? For nearly 6,000 years, I think people have probably been asking in some way that question. In essence, the question is, why am I here? What's my purpose? Is there something I'm supposed to be doing, or am I just here to indulge myself in any way that I can? Now, philosophy tells us that the person, each individual, is the genius of the ages. There's never been anyone any smarter than those who are alive today. Some men and women of science say that man is an animal. Now, we are an improved ape, but we're an ape nonetheless. Plato broke it down to its simplest possible form. He said that man is a featherless biped. Are any of those statements the answer to the psalmist's question? Those are ignorant statements that are not based in any kind of a scientific method whatsoever. What is our purpose and what is it that gives meaning to our existence in this life. Is a person different from the animals? If we talk to modern-day humanists, they say, no, we're no different than the animals. We have just evolved a little further than what they have evolved. But what is there in someone that makes that individual different if he is different? Only one person can answer that question, and it is, or it was to that person to whom David posed his question, why is God mindful of people? And he asked God, why are you mindful of people? When one looks around the world today, I think we probably all ought to be asking that question. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and the statement was, how in the world can God continue with all that's going on in the world today? I think that's something we ought to consider. That's something we ought to look at. We ought to look around us and see the things that are happening in society, not just ours, but around the world, and say, how in the world can God continue to tolerate that? 
How in the world can he continue to look down upon an earth that is so godless that they have no uh, standing beliefs, really, at all? What is there about people that would cause God to take notice of them? For they surely do not take notice of him. I think the answer to David's question and ours is obviously found in the Scripture. I think we need to go to the Scripture and we need to understand why God is still where He is and why we're still where we are. Why hasn't He done something? Because He has done that in the past, hasn't He? He has gotten so fed up with the sinfulness of the world that He simply destroyed everyone in the world minus eight folks and an ark full of animals. And it is from that where we are today. So what has changed really from then till now? Well, I think, uh, and I'm confident that the world is not exactly in the same shape it was during the days of Moses. I think there's some good people in the world still. There were none in the, uh, in the world at the time of Moses, save him and his family. The thoughts and the intents of the heart of those people were only evil continually. I don't think we've gotten there yet, but I don't know how far we are from that. God takes notice of humanity, though, and we need to understand some things about Him and why He does this. He takes notice of humanity because of how we were at one time. Let's go back to the garden. Shortly after God created the world, the plants and animals, He created a man. Not too long after he created that man, he created a woman, and all things were perfect. It was a perfect state. It was a perfect home. It was a perfect paradise. It was a perfect first couple. It was everything was perfect. Moses recorded the conversation within the Godhood, and I think it is so interesting. Genesis 1, beginning with verse 26, he said, And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. In the image of God. That's why God is mindful of his people. Because we are like him. Man as he was is referred to as the child of God, Luke 3, verse 38. Of course, uh, like his father, Adam was created being pure and holy and righteous. That's how he was in the image of God. He had an eternal part apart from his physical body that made him like God. That eternal part is never going to end. It's always going to be. And it is in that eternal part of humanity where is where lies the seat of emotion, where, where lies the ability to reason and make decisions and choose to do certain things and to choose not to do other things. After all, God does not create anything that is not perfect. But leave it up to humanity to mess it up. It is not the case that a person is born sinful. It is not the case that a person is inclined to commit sin over which he has no control. 
That's not what the Bible teaches. For example, in the world today, and we look around, and I was having a conversation with uh, Brother Joe about a possible topic for Wednesday night, and he mentioned this idea of transgenderism. How do we go about addressing that? Well, really, transgenderism is just one facet of homosexuality, and that's all it is. They're pushing that sin, but if you ask those people, do you know what they say? You're born that way. You're born to be a homosexual. Brethren, now, if that is true, and it is not because uh, Paul was clear when he warned against those sins of this life, Romans 1, 18-32, if a person is born to be a homosexual, he's born to be a murderer. He's born to be a gossip. He's born to be a backbiter. He's born to be proud. He's, in, he's born to be an inventor of evil and a hater of God, but he is not born as any of those things. Does that mean that people do not turn into those things? So absolutely, that's not what it means. But they choose those things because we have a part in us that is able to make a decision in this life. And God gave that to us. How can we know that? Because Adam and Eve and all who followed were patterned after God. God did not pattern anyone to embrace a sinful lifestyle of which He will destroy a person in eternity. He didn't do that. That's not justice. That's not fairness. That's not righteousness. But that's what God did, so we know that can't be possible. We were patterned after Him in many ways. Again, our intellect, our emotion, uh, all that didn't just happen. Instead, God provided those things for us. He wants us to have emotion. He wants us to have passion. He wants us to have happiness, to be able to be, to be able to experience sadness and at times anger. That is all part of this life and necessary in different facets of this life. He's given that to us because we are patterned after Him. That's the whole purpose, right? Being made in the image of God means we can reason, we can love, we can dream, we can determine to do things, we can determine not to do other things, and we can practice the necessary self-discipline to reach the goals that we have placed before ourselves, that God has given us the ability to desire. Because humanity was created by God, people have always been bound by the Creator's law. That's elementary, isn't it? In the Garden of uh, Eden, Adam and Eve were given direction. They were told what they needed to do, by which to live, and it was expected of them to obey God. He expected that because He gave the rules. He was the Creator. He extended life and opportunity to the first couple. And the Lord God took the man, Genesis 2.15, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. When we get over to chapter 3 and we see the punishments that are doled out, and, and uh, part of that punishment was the earth was cursed and it was going to be hard to till the ground and to grow things. The punishment wasn't work. I've heard that so many times. God punished Adam and now he had to work for a living. Adam had to work for a living from day one. He had to dress and keep the garden. Now it was just going to be much more difficult. That was the punishment. God has always directed 
the steps of humanity. He's never just thrown us out there and let us figure it out on our own. Jeremiah 10.23, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man to walketh to direct his own steps. We can't do it. We have to have God guiding our actions. Ever since the dawn of time, the purpose of all humanity was to fear God and to keep His commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. That's why God considers us. That's why God is mindful of His creation because His creation was perfectly patterned after Him. And He wanted that relationship. He created the world's inhabitants because He wanted companionship. He wanted that kind of love that can only come when someone chooses to give it. Not when it's forced. Could he have made a world full of robots that did every single thing and never sinned? Absolutely. But is that real love? Well, no, it's not real love. Real love is a choice that we make, and it's a choice that we make when we mess it up. But then we can choose to fix it. When Satan walked into that pristine garden, all things changed from then even until now. The first couple sinned, and God expelled them from their wonderful home, Genesis 3, 1-19. The image was marred. Things changed. The first couple was no longer as they were. They were no longer perfect. They were still patterned after God, but they were not united with God in the same way that they were. So why would God take notice of a fallen man? I can understand why He would take notice and be mindful of His creation, when they're perfectly patterned after Him, and they're doing the things He has asked them to do, but what what happens when they make a mistake? Well, the answer to that is also provided for us. He is mindful of His creation because of how we are. Because of how we are right now. We need Him more now than we've ever needed Him, and He is mindful of that. Humanity went from faithful servant to rebel. In a very short period of time. I don't know how long it was. It spans three chapters in the book of Genesis. But it didn't take long. Adam and Eve were in the presence of God. And you know they communed with God in such a personal way that we just can't understand today. We don't have that closeness that they had. We cannot communicate one-on-one, face-to-face with God as they communicated with Him. I can't can't even imagine having that ability, but their transition separated them from God. Isaiah said that sin and iniquity separate the person from the Creator, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. And the picture of how we are, listen, that's not a pretty picture. Humanity as it is seeks its own, doesn't it? I'm not talking about the few faithful, those who love God. I'm not saying that they they can't choose not to do that, but what I am saying is they choose to seek their own. Humanity as it is, as we are in general, we seek our own. We're not really concerned about the needs of others. People are not mindful of God's commandments. They're mindful of their own desires. Humanity rebels against the wishes of God. Look around, brethren. Read the news. Watch it on TV. Notice it when you're out in public how people resist God. 
They are resisting the sustainer of all things. I think the world has rebelled in the area of morals, Romans chapter 1. They have rebelled in the realm of worship, Matthew chapter 15. And when in a state of rebellion, a person is no longer called the child of God. Instead, he is called the child of the devil, John 8, 44. That's the picture of humanity as we are. Even though we were made in the image of God, we have corrupted our intellect. We have destroyed our moral compass. Our emotions are not what they ought to be. And our will, which He gave to us, is not focused in the right direction. As terrible as that picture is, though, that is the picture of the world. Brethren, we are in the minority. But Paul said this, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as a sinner, that person has become the object of death in God's justice. Ezekiel said, Ezekiel 18.4, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And Paul warned, For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Because humanity chose to sin, because it chose to become a sinner, because it chose to live in sin, the guilty must die. We can't sugarcoat that. There's no way to do it. That's just the truth of the gospel. However, if God's book was closed at that point in the history of humanity, the psalmist's question remains unanswered. Why is God mindful of humanity? God is mindful of man because we can return to him. The rebel can return. Paul encouraged his readers, Ephesians 2, 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometime were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We can be brought back into fellowship with God. We can stand justified in His sight because of the blood of Jesus. Earlier in the same letter, he said, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, Ephesians 1, 7. See, the sinfulness of people can be taken away. The rebel can return to God, even though that's the way we are now. How we, how we are becomes how we can be. What we lost in sin can be regained in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? When we look and read at the beautiful words that the psalmist penned, and he looks out over the creation of God, this wonderful world that he has provided for all of us, and we see the beauty of the, the stars and, and the moon and all of those wonderful things. A couple of years ago, do you remember we had us a, a, a solar eclipse? A few of us were down on the river, and we were able to, to be together and look at that and enjoy one another's company. Boy, brethren, that was something that was amazing. God gave that to us. And we can return to Him. That's why He loves us so much. We can understand that by simply what He has given to us. There has to be a desire to change, though. People have been given the opportunity to become the sons and daughters of God, to be the children of God by faith, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, John 1, 12. But we have to accept salvation on His terms, right? We have to be obedient to His will. We have to do as He says. After all, He is the Creator. He provided all of the things necessary 
for us. And even as we are right now, He has given us a way to return to Him. That's why He's mindful of us. We need Him to be. We need Him to be mindful of us, and that's why He is. How do we go about doing that? We have to turn our lives over to Him, don't we? We have to to understand what He wants and how we need to go about fixing the mess we've caused for ourselves. And we do that through the plan of salvation. We understand. We talk about it all the time. We ought to. Repentance and confession, immersion in water, faithful living, that brings us back into fellowship with God. That's how a person allows himself or herself to come into contact with the blood of Jesus by being buried with Him in baptism. Romans 6, 3, and 4. Coming up to be a new creature. Going back and returning to what we can be. A person can return to the Father and that's why He's mindful of us. But we can't stop there. Because the question remains unanswered. Why is God mindful of man? He's mindful because of how we will be. How we will be. He's mindful because all people face death. We talked about that in class this morning. No matter what we do, no matter how we take care of ourselves, some can can extend life further than others, but we all live and we all die. And all people face death. The writer of Hebrews said, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after that the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 And death is something for which all people must prepare because it's coming. Maybe we can think of it this way. When Jesus left the earth, He went to a place to prepare for His people, John 14, 1 through 3. If He went to prepare a place for us, He said, I'll come again I'll gather you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. So within that statement of His going to a prepared place, by necessity we have to understand to get there we have to be prepared. We can't think for a moment that the unprepared can get to a place that has been prepared. And if we're not prepared, we fall into that group that the writer of Hebrews talked about, Hebrews 10.31, that is fearful of the living God. The unprepared ought to be fearful. Like the writer proclaimed, after death is the judgment. And it is in judgment that fate is determined. We face death, and in death, we understand what's going to happen. Judgment is an individual matter, in that we're going to answer individually for ourselves, right? Paul said this, Romans 14, beginning with verse 11. He said, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It doesn't matter what your neighbor did. It doesn't matter what your husband or your wife did or what your children did. This is an individual thing. Christianity is an individual exercise. Oh, we come together. We're commanded to come together and worship together, but a Christian has to make his or her decisions upon himself. And only he knows and only God knows if that individual is doing what he ought to be doing. It's an individual exercise. So, the determining factor will be how we lived in this life. God understands that, and we better understand it. Paul told the Corinthian brethren, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body 
according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10 In his vision, as he recorded the revelation, John saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, Revelation 20.12. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, we may choose to forsake God. That's within each of us. God has given us that ability to do that. We can choose that and we can live in sin. We can choose to reject God's love in Christ and continue in sin, but we will have no choice when it comes to the judgment. We're all going to be there. We will all be give, uh, have to give an answer for our actions in this life. What is man that thou art mindful of him? What a wonderful question. What a beautiful question. What, what a wonderful thought that we read in the mind of the psalmist. God is mindful of us because we were perfect and we were the crowning creation and moment of all things that He created up to that point. He's mindful of us because we chose to leave that state of perfection, and He knew we needed us, needed Him. He didn't leave us because we failed Him. He knew that we needed Him then more than ever. He's mindful of us because of what we became. But most of all, God is mindful of us of what because of what we will be in the end. If we strive to live for Him, we can be justified in His presence. He'll welcome us into the heavenly realm, and He wants us to be there. Here's the thing, if you've ever sinned in this life, it's too late to reach that perfection. That's gone. You became something else. But in becoming something else, a person can return to Him. And by returning to Him, we can become what He needs us to be and what we will be. With obedience, we can start over. The blood of Christ can cleanse us. If we join with it in baptism, Romans 6, 16 through 18. Then we become the new man of which Paul spoke, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created us, Colossians 3, verse 10. Then we can realize what we will be when we hear these words at one time. Matthew 25, 21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this hour, if you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. Be what you can be in the sight of God. Return to Him. If you've done that and you have fallen away, come back to Him. You can return to Him through repentance and prayer, confession. He'll forgive you if you ask Him. But answer this invitation as we stand and as we sing.
everyone have the emblems? Will you bow with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time thankful for this bread, which to us represents our Lord and Savior's body that was nailed cruelly to a cross so that we may have remission of our sins. As we partake of this, dear Heavenly Father, we hope that we do so in a manner that is well-pleasing in thy sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. continue our thanks heavenly father for that sacrifice on our behalf heavenly fathers we consider the shed blood of your son we are thankful for this cup in christ's name amen Having completed the Lord's Supper, we now have an opportune time to return a portion of our means. Will you bow with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, come to you at this time thankful for all the possessions that we have. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that we are a blessed nation, we are blessed individuals, that all the things that we own, possess, they are all gifts from thee. Dear Heavenly Father, as we return a portion of our means to thee for the work of the your church, we ask that we do so in a manner that would be pleasing to you and with a cheerful heart. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Number 557, 557, if you'll stand, we'll sing this song, we'll be dismissed. Though I through the valley or shadow or mountain or trouble sing, and often the darkness have traveled, the Lord has been mindful of me. The Lord has been mindful of me. He blesses and blesses again. My God is the God of Let us bow. Dear God, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today and from benefiting from study of your word and singing songs together to praise you. We pray that our worship has been truly pleasing unto you, and we pray that you'll take care of us and bring us back at the next opportunity we have to be here. We thank you for everything. You're the most excellent God. We can't praise you enough. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.